Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 8 of Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. Got a lot of stuff to go over and a lot of people to talk to today uh, for episode eight of Island Ice. Obviously, season keeps getting better and better for the Islanders uh, as we speak. Uh, I got my bags packed. I'm in uh, Shea Gross, uh, ready to leave for the airport for a flight to Pittsburgh. Islanders with a home and home against the Penguins uh, Tuesday night. In Pittsburgh, in the Berg, Thursday night at Barclays Center as the uh, Islanders continue to play uh, the bulk of their home games uh, this month in Brooklyn. The Islanders go into Pittsburgh on a 14-game point streak, 13-0-1 after a stirring comeback Saturday night in Philadelphia. Entering the third period, they trail 3-0. They wind up with a... 4-3 overtime win, get two more goals from Anthony Beauvillier, and Anthony Beauvillier will join us later on, uh, taped an interview with him uh, prior to going to Philly, so uh, spend some time with Bo chatting about, you know, just what's gone right and how he's developed and a little bit of, about growing up in the Montreal area. Also have some... Uh, some sound clips from President and General Manager Lou Lamarillo thought you might be interested in on uh, Andrew Ladd and uh, what might or might not be going on down in Bridgeport. And uh, before we do any of that, uh, taped a spot with MSG analyst, uh, former coach and uh, four-time cup winner, Butch Goring, who shares his thoughts on what he's seeing from this season's team and what he remembers from the uh, franchise record 15-game winning streak back in 81-82 that he was a part of. So that's all upcoming on this episode of Island Ice. Where to start? Where to start? I mean, I guess you got to start with the uh, the resiliency of this team and, and just the level-headedness, I guess you would call it, of this 14-game point streak, and I think that was all on display Saturday night in Philly. Um, they get down 3 nothing. I, I didn't think the first period was, was that good at all. Uh, they, they had better stretches in the second period, but still, it, it you know, I, I, I just thought the Flyers were the better team through 40 minutes. I thought the score reflected what was going on in the ice, even though Barry Trotz and the players remained very confident that they were getting a ton of scoring chances. Uh, Sezikis off the, you know, through the pads of Brian Elliott, off the post. Uh, Jordan Everly missed a wide open net on a backhand. I believe that was in the first period. So they were getting their cho- chances, but it really looked like one of those games, and, and, and it happens during a streak, one of those games where all those bounces you get to accumulate the points in the streak, they just don't go your way that night. And I just... I'd seen too many of these. I, I just figured that was a game that the, the Islanders were not going to be able to pull out um, just because, you know, <laughs> at some point streaks end. But, you know, they they did a great job in the third period. They they didn't change anything. And that's really been the key through this streak. They don't change. They They play the way they play. 
And they win because of the way they play. And we've been over and over this. It's the defensive structure. It's the goaltending and the goaltending and the defensive structure go hand in hand. And uh, now they're getting some offensive production specifically from Matthew Barzell, who's up to nine goals. It's a team high, uh, eight assists for a team high 17 points through the Islanders' first 18 games. And uh, Anthony Beauvillier with back-to-back two-goal games. And uh, as Beauvillier, as we'll talk about, has just developed into a complete 200-foot player right in front of our own eyes under Barry Trotz. And that, that's been really fun to watch and, and happy for Bo with the success he's had. But it, it all ties in, the, re- the resiliency of this team. They, um, you know, they just, uh, I, I think it was Brock Nelson said, you know, Barry came in and said, you know, all you got to do is just keep doing what you're doing and pop one in in the third period. You know, if you get a goal in the first five minutes or you get a goal in the first, you know, every five minutes, you're, you're going to be right back in this game. And he was prescient in that. You know, after the game, I sort of asked Barry what had changed after the first period or going into the third period. And Barry said nothing changed. Like I said, they just kept doing what they were doing. And, and again, that's just been the key to this Islanders team. Now, we're only 18 games in here, um, so no one should be, you know, doing the the the, the happy, happy, joy, joy, giddy dance here. Um, you, you should be pleased with the way the team's playing. But there's, as as I wrote in my Sunday Insider, there's still 75 percent of this season left to go. So nothing is settled. You know, nothing. Nothing is, as Rambo would say, nothing is over. Right? You know. Um, they're in a really good spot, but uh, as I sit here in Shea Gross looking at the standings, they're still five points behind the Capitals who have played as well as the Islanders over the whole span of the Islanders' point streak, and uh, they're, they're four points ahead of the Hurricanes. Um, what needs to be better as the Islanders move forward? And again, I addressed a little bit of this uh, in the Sunday Insider, and I touched on face-offs, which the Islanders have gotten better at. Uh, Brock Nelson is having a good season there. Casey Sezikis healthy, helps out. Matthew Barzell um, has improved in the face-off circle. Um, but overall, the Islanders need to still win more. You know, they need to get over 50% on face-offs. That's, uh, that's just intuitive. They're not there yet. I think the last time I looked, they were at 48 48 somewhere around there. Um, Still need to be a little more consistent. But, you know, one of the things about the Islanders, and uh, you notice I don't talk a ton of analytics on this show. Um, Call me old school. I really like, I understand the importance analytics has in sports now. Uh, I'm not blind to that. You know, I, I understand war and, you know, all of the slash lines and all of that and Corsi and, and I get how that helps you analyze or predicts a team's success. And a lot of times I think with the Islanders, you take those analytics and you throw a lot of it out the window because, you know, the Islanders don't possess the puck as much as Corsi dictates a successful team should possess the puck. Uh, they give up 
you know, chances. Uh, <laughs> um, a, a lot of, you know, the Islanders have some, some coursey players that if you, you know, if you had never watched them play, you would wonder, you know, why they were on the team. And I'm thinking, you know, Leo Komarov, it might be one of the worst analytic players in the league, right? In terms of how the numbers show up for him. And yet he's a, he's a productive player for this team. Um, and Lou Lamarillo recognized that, and Barry Trotz has come to appreciate that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't talk a lot of analytics because, one, I, I, I think, you know, I, I'd rather talk, uh, quote-unquote, real hockey. Um, but I, I, I don't think a lot of it stands with the Islanders. I think with the Islanders, a lot of what you need is the eye test. And what does your eye test tell you? Your eye test tells you that they keep winning. They, they, they push whatever scoring chances there are. A lot of them come from the outside or a lot of the shots come from the outside. They're not giving up a ton of rebounds. Now, there were a few too many odd man rushes for my liking in Philly on Saturday, but you know, that that's going to happen. Not every game is going to be the Picasso, right? Um, they take away passing lanes. They take away shooting lanes. Everyone on the team knows his role um, and, and plays it well. And that's kind of what Lou Lamarillo's teams with the Devils were all about. And he's, he's well on his way to rebuilding that kind of culture or as, has created uh, and fostered that culture here on the island as well. I mean, you you look at the stats. The Islanders are 23rd in the league, as I speak on Monday, in, in goals four. They have 58 goals four. But once again, as they did last season, when uh, Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice combined to win the Jennings Trophy, really a team award for allowing the fewest goals in the league, the Islanders are, are once again allowing the fewest goals in the league with 42, and that makes their goal differential plus 16, which is just one behind the Capitals. I believe that's the fourth best in the league. So the formula works for the Islanders. One, one, one other way the Islanders can get better, or two other ways, really, are one, they, they're still not drawing a ton of uh, power plays. And you can say they've been hosed on a couple of calls, but, you know, a lot of it is forcing the action and, uh, you know, really demanding penalties be called against you uh, in the corners, on the boards, uh, in front of the crease. And those are the area the Islanders try to get to. Um, it's been a little puzzling, not more power plays. I mean, it's, it's really stark. You look at the... Uh, at the league, and they, I think the Islanders are like 30 or 40 behind the first place team in terms of power play chances, and it was like 10 or 15 behind, uh, you know, even the 30th place team. I don't subscribe to referees having biases against teams. I, I, I you know, yeah, maybe coaches grade on them sometimes. There's a certain player, but I think it all evens out in the end. So I think this is on the Islanders to figure out how to get more power plays drawn. Now, they, they had three in Philadelphia, and that's a good sign. Uh, you you want to get to around three, and, uh, you know, now this is uh, three and three straight games. So the Islanders are improving in that, but uh, that still needs to get better. And, and as good as the Islanders have been in, in, in this point streak, uh, they, they still need to... It, it's going to be 
a ridiculously tight playoff race. It, it, it seems like it's always a ridiculously tight playoff race. So the Islanders, uh, there, there's no relaxing here. Even with a 13-0-1 streak, the Islanders haven't created that much separation from the third-place Hurricanes in the Metropolitan Division, and they have to be keenly aware of that um, as they really get into the meat of the schedule. Now, Thanksgiving is typically the time that teams decide what kind of team they have, and I think it's very clear that the Islanders you know, have one of the better teams in the league. And really, I mean, they they should be a Stanley Cup contender this season. Now, there are things they probably need to add. Do you want more scoring? Yeah, you know, the stats, again, suggest you need a little bit more scoring punch on this team. How do you do that? Is that trade? Is that from within? You know, Jordan Eberle going to start, you know, uh, scoring a little bit more? Um, he's, he's been good. That first line's been good, really. The, 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 and, and really, to me, you know, it, it kind of goes back and forth whether, the, you know, there's some nights the Matthew Barzell, uh, Anders, Lee, Anders Lee, and Jordan Everly line, you know, is the best line. Sometimes it's the Brock Nelson, Anthony Beauvillier. And I think we've settled, uh, or it seems certainly that uh, Barry Trotz has settled um, on Derek Broussard on, on right wing for now because that trio just works so well. Um, still waiting for Matty Martin to get healthy and rejoin the lineup and still trying to figure out who that fourth center is on this team. And, and we'll get to the, a little bit of that uh, coming up. Um, but first, uh, I want to... Uh, I want to take you to an interview uh, I just taped with uh, Butch Goring again, you know, uh, four-time Stanley Cup winner with the Islanders, 80-83, to 83, coached the Islanders, coached around the NHL, now an MSG analyst broadcaster on the team. So, you know, if anyone is qualified to talk about what the Islanders are doing right now and what they did in the past and maybe how the two are, or maybe what similarities there are between the two groups, it would be Butch Goring. So uh, here's Butch Goring talking about what he has seen from the Islanders. I'm joined now by uh, Butch Goring of MSG Networks. Uh, one of the uh, privileges of this job has been to get to know Butch a little bit over here over the couple of years. And uh and uh, Butch, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Hope all's well. Uh, everything's good, thank you. Glad to, glad to join you. All right, hey Butch. So what what I wanted to do was ask a little bit about your impressions of this uh, now fourteen game point streak, thirteen zero and one, going into uh, the two games in Pittsburgh and. What 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 have you seen out of the team that that's really impressed you during this streak? And you know why do you think they've been able to put this streak together? Well, they've got a a couple things going, but I think what's impressive is that uh, when you watch them play, and I likened it, Andrew, actually to a little bit like a golf game. Uh, they're interested in shooting seventy two at the end of the day, and they don't worry about what what the holes are. Uh, they're just interested to get to that par level. So they may take a couple of bogeys along the way. They may have a couple of birdies and obviously some pars, but they don't, uh, they don't get away from their game in any way, shape, or form. They don't worry about what's going on behind them. They're just uh, basically dealing what's going on in hand. And so when you watch the way they play, and, and it was a pretty good indication the other night, it doesn't matter what the score was. 
they just feel like, okay, I just got to keep playing my game, and I know everything is going to be all right. So uh, that's kind of like what their attitude seems to be. And, um, you know, they've, they've had some bounces along the way, and you have to. But overall, it's just that they don't deviate from, from, from the task at hand. Do you see a lot of similarities to kind of what they did last year? Are, are they just kind of picking up from last season and just really, you know, since they've this is second year under Barry, they 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 understand the system a little bit better. I, I really thought that they would play better this year than they did last year, and the reason being is I thought that uh, they've had a year of what Barry wants to. Uh, wants them to do so their foundation is already in place and and they're building on that foundation and, and Barry's obviously getting to know more and more about his team and what they can handle and what they can't so this doesn't really surprise me I mean can I say I thought they were going to go 13-0-1 something like that no uh, but, I, but I thought they would play they played well and, and they would just get better and better what they're, they're trying to do and develop more and more confidence with it so uh, it's not a surprise. I don't know that they're necessarily playing better than they did last year. I just think that they've got even more confidence. If there are some areas for improvement, uh, you know, obviously it's still, you know, we haven't even reached the quarter pole of the season yet. So this team has to play better as, as the season goes on. What, what do you, where do you see this team needing to play a little bit better? I, I, I think it's just that, uh, the consistency level. I think there's some lows in their game, and, and to say that they, um, uh, you know, are going to play a 60 minute game every night is, is really a stretch. I think, but but I'd like to see. Uh, I think they would too. Is longer stretches of playing well. Uh, you know, right now I think they're it's 20 minutes here, and then it's you know a little bit of a lull for 20 minutes, and, and so I think there's there's a little more of that going on than, than really I think the coach would like to see. I mean, the game again the other night. The first period wasn't very good, but they, um, you know, they had a great second period, and, and um, then they had a pretty good third period. Obviously, so I think the more consistency they can bring to their game, I think that's what every coach wants. Is you, you, you want it as many games as possible, Andrew, is with that, you know, that sixty-minute effort where you come out of the gate and you're ready to go, and, and when the night's over, you say to yourself, "Boy, we just, you know, we just didn't have any lulls tonight." As a guy who coached the Islanders as well as you know elsewhere. What is your scouting report on on Barry as a coach, and and not just Barry because it's never you know the head coach never does it in a vacuum. The way he's put together the staff, the way him and Lou have put together the staff, and you know what's your scouting report on this? Well, I think when you when you watch what that what that team does, and uh, is that this is a team that, that that keeps coming at you. The, the, they 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 don't change their game. They're a very disciplined hockey club. Um, they don't make a lot of mistakes, and uh, so th- this is a team that's difficult to uh, to play against. And you know, if I was coaching against them, I would I would stress patience. That's uh, you know, you've got to play fundamentally a very strong game because that's the way they're going to play. And, and if you don't, they're going to make uh, make you pay for your mistakes. So um, you know, the more often you can play in their end, uh, the more success you're going to have. Now the the fourteen game point streak here going into Tuesday night's game at Pittsburgh, they can match the franchise record of a fifteen game point streak, which was the uh, 
the 15-game win streak, the franchise record 15-game win streak in 81-82, I believe it was January uh, January 21st through February 20th. Butch, obviously you were a, a key cog in, the, in, in that team and the, and the four cup winners. What, what are your memories of that streak and how much did the team, you know, was, was it aware of the streak as it was happening? Well, I think we were all very much aware of it, and uh, you know, you, you just play with uh, with so much confidence. I mean, uh, everything was going in the in the right direction. I mean, it was a locomotive that's loaded with a ton of gasoline, and, and there was no way to stop it. I mean, and that team had a tremendous amount of talent. And we never, as a group, thought about winning or losing. We we just had such tremendous confidence that when we played our game, we were going to win. And so the thought of uh, the thought of losing never crossed their mind. It was just uh, you know let's let's go play, let's do what we do, and, and you know we're going to win. That's just the, the way it is. And I think that's the way it is with these guys. Is that I don't think they really think a lot about the streak in itself. It's there, and they know it. But I think they're, they're they don't go into a game saying let's not lose this game tonight. I think it's like let's go in this game and let's play our game and we'll see what the results are. So there's there's really for me is a similarity. And I you know, I tell a story about Al Arbor and that I don't know that Perry's in the same situation, but I, I, I missed a couple of games on those streets on that streak and, and I was on the bench for uh, in Hartford and, and we were beaten up on Hartford. It was uh, no contest and, and Al turned to me and I think it was about the middle of the second period and he just said, how do I slow these guys down? Because uh, they were on such a roll but Al, you know, that was too early for the team to be peaking. Al always wanted his team to peak, you know, a couple weeks before the playoffs started so they would be rolling when they, uh, you know, when they got to the playoffs. So I'm not suggesting Barry would, uh, would like that, although he might, but, uh, <laughs> You know, that's, you know, sometimes when your team's gone, you uh, you just kind of let it go. And obviously right now it's really early in the season. And Barry knows that, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to tip a little bit at some point in time. But right now he's happy because he's building a cushion that gives this team a little room to, uh, you know, manipulate if they stumble. Well, you bring up a great point. And, uh, you know, the streak, you know, you win that 15th game against the Colorado Rockies. And I think it was a back-to-back. The next night you lose to the Penguin and, and the streak is ended. What do you remember about the response from the team to the to the streak ending, and how was your play in you know the week or two after the streak ended? I, I think we bounced back pretty quickly. In fact, I think we won the next the next game against Pittsburgh, if I if memory serves me correct. And and uh, but I don't think we dwelled on it. I you know. Uh, Realistically, you know you're going to get beat some point in time, and the the opposition's going to have a great game, and you're you're going to get off your game a little bit. So I, I don't think we uh, we dwelled on. It. I don't think Al dwelled on it at all. Uh, Al was actually much much tougher on his hockey team uh, when it was winning than when it was losing. He uh, he always felt I think that the team was going to come out of whatever shell they were there in the wrong direction. So he never really pushed hard. Tried to push hard when they were winning because he wanted to, like I said, to keep them playing that that kind of game and never to get complacent. So, uh, but once the streak was over, I mean, uh, for us, uh, I, I don't recollect us, you know, being down in any way, shape, or form. We just kind of like, okay, uh, you know, next game we gotta, you know, next game we gotta be ready and have to be. I think against Pittsburgh. All right, Butch, listen, I, I really appreciate you giving me a, a few minutes here. I will see you in Pittsburgh, and thanks again for your thoughts and your time. All right, good talk. See you in Pittsburgh. And my thanks again to Butch Goring for uh, being so generous with his time. Always 
pleasant chatting with Butch, wealth of hockey information, fun guy to be around, and, and he absolutely adores his golf, so uh, I think he fit everything in there. Um, unfortunately, one thing that uh, did not make the final cut there, just had a, a couple of audio problems on, on Butch, Butch's call into me, was... Uh, I, I was asking him about similarities between this group and the 81-82 uh, team uh, that won 15 straight games. And I, I said to Butch, I was like, look, I know it's a different generation, different era, a different sport almost with the way they play hockey now. But the one thing Butch pointed to in, in terms of a, a similarity he seems sees between these two groups, the one that's gone 13-0-1 here going into Pittsburgh on Tuesday night, is both groups were incredibly tight-knit. Um, you know, yeah, Butch talked about the family atmosphere with those cup winners and, and just, you know, how tight-knit and, uh, you know, what a good dressing room it was off the ice, how those guys got along, how they always got along. And and Butch, who's who's certainly around this team, you know, sees a lot of the same stuff. And and the guys on uh on this team and you know, and it's been a while really. I mean, you know, you, you have a core group here. Um so that's one similarity that Butch certainly pointed to. And you know, uh, you talk about a core group uh, Casey Zizekas is going to play his 500th game uh, Tuesday in Pittsburgh. Brock Nelson follows uh, with his 500th uh, Thursday at Barclays Center against the Penguins. I have a story up on that now on Newsday.com backslash sports. Um, other milestones, Josh Bailey just passed Bobby Bourne for uh, you know fifth all-time on the Islanders' games played list, uh, 815 games. So, uh, you know, Josh Bailey is now up there with names like Brian Trottier and, uh, and, and Denny Potvin and Bobby Nystrom and Gillies, you know, and, and that's heady company. And, and, and Josh Bailey understands that. And, and the group really came up together, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bailey, Anders Lee, I think is going to hit uh, 500 uh, later on this season if he stays healthy as well. The the core group of guys who came up together, and you include Matty Martin in that as well. Um, you know, despite the fact that he played two seasons with the Maple Leafs, uh, left via free agency, Blue brought him back. Um, to finish off that contract that that the, the, that he signed Matty to in Toronto, and uh, um, you know Matt Matt's uh, Matt's played over 500 games with the Islanders. And uh, speaking of Matt Martin, he's back on the ice. Uh, he's been out since uh, October 25th when his left knee crashed into that open door on the Senators bench that uh, ticked off so many Islanders for the way that happened. Um, on Monday, Matty Martin returned to practice in a non uh, in a regular contact jersey. He had practiced uh, on Friday in an orange non-contact jersey, but uh, he's back in a contact jersey, cleared medically. So I, I that certainly means Matty Martin will be back in the lineup uh, sooner rather than later. Whether that's uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be this first game against the Penguins, uh, maybe maybe the Thursday night game. Um, I, I, I certainly see him being reunited with Sezikis and Clutterbuck. And then, yeah, you got to wonder where Josh Bailey goes. 
um, because Josh Bailey had played on uh, Sezikis's wing there. So uh, does that go back to Derek Broussard, you know, being uh, going back to center? Uh, you know, Barry Trotz tried to move Broussard back to center. It didn't last long. I think it just lasted a, a period, really period and a half before uh, he put Brass back on that right wing just because uh, that trio, there's something about chemistry. And right now, Bo and, and Brass and Brock, the three Bs there, uh, certainly have that. But you're looking, you're, you're looking for a fourth center um, if Broussard is going to play right wing. And uh, Otto Koivula got that chance on Saturday. How long that chance is going to last? Uh you know, I mean, they tried Cole Bardreau there. Sezikis was hurt a little bit. Cole comes up. Leo was out. Um, Leo was being used in the middle a little bit. And I, I don't think either Barry or, or Leo think that's his best spot. Leo was a healthy scratch on Saturday. Maybe, you know, he draws back in because I know Barry doesn't want to keep Leo on the shelf for too long. Just loves the intangibles, loves the penalty killing. So there are still lineup decisions to be made here. Uh, it's you know there are some jagged pieces in the jigsaw puzzle. Even though this team is is playing so well, and uh, I, I don't necessarily know that I have the solution to that. I, I'd say you know I, I'd give Otto another game here to see you know what he can build off of um, as to where Josh Bailey fits in. You know, are you going to play a line of Koivola, Bailey, Komarov? Does that make sense? I mean, uh, you know, Ross Johnson's an odd man out there. Michael Dalcal's an odd man out there. You know, the other thing is, and Barry keeps going back to Josh Bailey being a Swiss Army knife, so it would not shock me, although I don't think Josh Bailey is a fourth-line center. I mean... You know, uh, maybe that's a, you know, I, I, I hate, you know, I, 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 I run myself into a, into a wall designating third and fourth lines here because, you know, the K- Casey Sezekis, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck, yeah, probably that's, you know, in the line warm-ups before the game that goes out as a fourth line, but it's used as much as the third line. But long, long story short, um, maybe Josh Bailey winds up as a center for a while here, and uh, he's shown he can do that too. And, and the, the good thing about Bales and is he recognizes he's going to get moved around, and and he's really enjoying that role uh, this season. Talk to him a little bit about that this week, not on uh, tape for the podcast, but just in chatting. And 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 he he enjoys knowing that he can fill in wherever Barry needs him. And he's, he's happy with that. Some guys. You know, some athletes need a set role and need to know exactly, you know, where they're going to be on a day day by day basis. And other guys like Josh Bailey can can are easily adaptable to whatever role the coach needs them in. And it's just personalities. And Josh Bailey is uh, pretty easy going that way. And and he's proven to be uh, adept at. at, at you know, going back and forth, and and he's an okay. He's okay at center. I, I have no problems with him at center. Maybe not the strongest face-off guy, but uh, you know, uh, it, it can work out that way. Um, so, you know, however the schedule or however the the, the roster roster winds up here when when Martin comes back, if Ross Johnson goes out, you know, wherever they play Josh Bailey. 
the, the Islanders certainly have a, a tough road ahead. Uh, Saturday marked the start of 10 of 13 on the road. And, uh, you know, there's the Tuesday game in Pittsburgh and then home for one. And then starts the California trip, you know, a cross-country trip on on Saturday, on Friday, uh, leading to a game at San Jose on Saturday, and then there's a game every other day. You go uh, San Jose on Saturday, Anaheim on Monday, Los Angeles on Wednesday, home for Thanksgiving. Uh, after Thanksgiving, you know, uh, I think the Blue Jackets come into Barclays Center, but then there's a Detroit-Montreal uh, swing. Montreal, I believe, on the, the back end of a back-to-back. And I know the Islanders do well on the back end of back-to-backs. But, boy, you know, it's never easy going into going into Montreal. The Bell Center is one of the more intense arenas in the league. And, uh, you know, so the, the point is that uh, <laughs> this is the NHL. It's, it's not easy. And California swings, regardless of, of how it seems the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks are playing, and uh, obviously the Kings have sort of fallen on hard times. They've told Ilya Kovalchuk to go away, basically. Um, never easy going out to California. Um, just isn't. And Islanders luck out. Usually you get the Anaheim LA on a back-to-back, or, or worse, one of the LA teams in San Jose on a back-to-back. That's not the case. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a great comparable because uh, when they went out to California, uh, last season, they were just starting to get used to Barry Trotz. Uh, it was early in the season. The Islanders were up and down. Uh, really, uh, it, it wasn't until they got back from uh, California and then lost another overtime game to Florida that they finally put together a win streak, one, two, three, five-game win streak. Uh, um, but when they went out to California last year, they, they lose 4-1 at Anaheim, uh, they, they they blew away the Kings 7-2. Um, and again, the Kings have fallen on hard times. The uh, franchises, it got old basically out there. Uh, they didn't upend the Stanley Cup champions quick enough. Um, that's another story. And then they lose 4-1 to the Sharks. The Shark Tank's always a tough place to play. Sharks are a big physical team. Um, you know, the Kings and Ducks can play that way too. And I know the Islanders are successful playing in any situation, but uh, I'm just saying, you know, these are not three gimmies coming up, whether, you know, it's, it certainly seems like they'll have Matt Martin back for that trip. Um, one player who does not seem to have a immediate future with the Islanders um, is left wing Andrew Ladd, who was placed on waivers and reassigned to Bridgeport um, as he tries to come back from, you know, uh, second devastating knee injury last season. Hasn't played since March 24th. Went through a five-game five conditioning stint at Bridgeport. And the Islanders just did not see enough from him to warrant you know, them thinking the right move was trying to get him back on an NHL level. He's going to have to go to the AHL and, and prove that he can, you know, he can still keep up basically. And, uh, you, you wish Andrew the best. Um, you know, I, I've written several times that I, I think his future with the team, long-term future was in doubt just because of these injuries. Now, obviously you have the cap situation and I wrote about it this week on newsday.com, uh, slash sports got a long time and a lot of money left on the deal. 
Um, obviously, no one was going to claim him on waivers. But uh, what is Andrew Ladd's long-term role in this organization? Uh, Lou Lamarillo uh, touched upon that when he met with the media. There's no timetable. You know, uh, his play, uh, you know, his physical fitness uh, will determine that. Uh, we maximize the uh, conditioning rule within the framework of the CBA uh, and this and our belief is the best uh, for him and the best for us. Well, we, we've seen that certainly, uh, you know, the strength of that knee, uh, although being cleared, you know, allowing him to do the things that he has to do to play, uh, we haven't seen that yet. So what we'll have to do is just make sure that it's there and he'll have to be honest with himself on, you know, how he feels and, and where he's at physically. Um, he's worked at it. There is nothing that he could have done any more than he's done. Uh, you know, is he back sooner than maybe he should expect it? Uh, you know, I'm not a medical person, so I don't m make those decisions. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's agreed to do this when I say he agreed to go down with the conditioning. And I explained to him today the reasons why. And uh, he's extremely receptive. As I said, he's worked very hard. He's come off, uh, uh, you know, one knee of two operations and now the good knee having another one. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. If he can make it back to the big club, I mean, what can he mean? What guy like, you know, his experience and his Stanley Cups in that room? Well, you know, when you, you, you can't buy experience and uh, he certainly knows what it is, you know, to win. Uh, quality individual, team guy. So... Uh, you know, it, it's open-ended. I don't have a crystal wall, you know, as to what can and will not be. So all we can do is make decisions uh, for today and tomorrow. It, fair to say this was not the original plan when he was sent down for conditioning. You thought that might be enough. That's correct. Yeah. It, are there, I mean, I hate to ask this question, are there concerns? Then why do you ask? <laughs> because I need an answer. Are, are there concerns about whether he will ever play in the NHL again at this I, point? You know, as I said, uh, I, I can't, couldn't answer that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think you look at things that way. I think what you do is everything you possibly can. And, and while we're talking about Lou Lamarillo and Bridgeport, one other topic that Lou touched upon was just what's going on at Bridgeport. Um, suffering through a pretty rough season as I glance at the AHL standings. They are in last place in the Atlantic division, uh, a measly 4-10-3 with one shootout loss. So 12 points, and that's 15 points off the pace being set by the Rangers AHL club, uh, the Hartford Wolfpack. Um, I know a lot of fans are a little distressed about that, wondering about the foundation and uh, the development going on. But that, that, that's the key word, development. Uh, you know, at the end of the day in the NAHL, although it's nice and you want to create a winning atmosphere, what you really have to look at is how the players are being developed. And, uh, you know, so this season, you know, Oliver Wallstrom is back in Bridgeport. How, how is he going to develop? Bodie Wild is playing finally after hurting his ankle right before training camp. So how is that young defenseman going to develop this season? We've touched upon this. Is, is Kiefer Bellows going to, you know, turn some eyes in the organization and, uh, 
you know, start making a push to play in the NHL. These are the things you look at first at Bridgeport, although you want them to win. So I did ask Lou about the situation in Bridgeport and, you know, all the injuries they've gone through and uh, exactly how he assesses where Bridgeport is at. What's the balance between winning and development down there? And and how do you see both right now at Bridgeport? Well, it's a combination of both. You know, uh, development will always override, you sure. know, uh, say the, the sacrifice of winning. Uh, but winning's important in the environment, but uh, we have depleted them. And they had their own injuries. Now we're starting to get healthy there, uh, you know, and, you know, they'll, they'll get back on track. I have no uncomfortability there whatsoever. Uh, but uh, they have been really depleted, not to exaggerate it, with... Uh, and some major injuries. And a couple are starting to come back. A Wild should be back this weekend. Coppina should be soon. Uh, Van Sokol, he'll be out, you know, for the year, the way it seems. Uh, uh, you know, even the young man we sent down, Baudreau, he got hurt the first game he played. So he hasn't played since then. So, uh, you know, uh, they'll be fine. So that, that's Lou uh, on Andrew Ladd and Bridgeport. And, and now... Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had a chance to uh, chat with Anthony Beauvillier this week, uh, 22 years old, fourth year in the NHL. And if one guy, if you had to pick one guy who has developed the most under Barry Trotz, and I know, you know, Adam Pellick and Scott Mayfield and even Ryan Pulak you know, are probably in that court category of guys who've taken giant leaps under Barry Trotz. Anthony Beauvillier is certainly in that group. And amongst the forwards, he's taken the most steps forward. And and the reason why is he has become a complete player. Uh, Barry Trotz can trust him in all situations. He's he's playing on the second line. He had two goals at Philadelphia to in the third period as the Islanders rallied in that game. Two of the previous games, so four goals over two games, six for the season now. Um, just tons of chemistry with Brock Nelson and particularly, I think, Derek Broussard. Um, as I talked to Anthony Beauvillier about, just, you know, the... the the comfort level of having another French Canadian uh, in the room for him and, and, and on his line. Um, don't underestimate what that means. There, there is a, a comfort factor there. But, you know, Barry, like I said, uses him all situations. He's, he's been used on the penalty kill this season, which he rarely, if ever, was last season. Um, he's used on the power play. He's trustworthy defensively. He's just, he's good all over the ice now. And he certainly was not a 200-foot player before Barry Trotz and his staff came into town. So uh, with that, here's my chat with Anthony Beauvillier. We're here with Anthony Beauvillier. And uh, first of all, Anthony, congratulations so far on the success this season. Just how do you assess the way you've been playing? I know we talked in the preseason about you feeling like you could take, you know, your game to the next level. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my game. Just uh, all kinds of uh, aspects of the game, power play, penalty killing. It's been fun. Just like went out there, uh, not worrying too much about uh, uh, mistakes and stuff like that. You have to be happy. I mean, the role you built for yourself on this team, like you mentioned, you're getting power play time. You're, you're getting, you know, you 
shown that you're very good on the penalty kill as well. What kind of feeling is that when you know that the team relies upon you like that? Yeah, it uh, feels a lot better, obviously, just going to the games, just uh, knowing you're going to be part of the game, uh, be part of uh, the team. I mean, uh, it's all mental, like I said. I've said, I've said it before. It's just so mental uh, game a little bit, just to know that the team relies on you. It just uh, um, makes you feel a little bit better about yourself and coming into games, and you know you have to be your uh, your top shape. We've talked about this. I mean, this is a very close-knit group, but with, with the success you've had early in the season, what, what's the feeling coming to the rink every day? Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we're in a hot streak right now, so it's uh, practice is a lot more fun. Just uh, everyone's just happy, happy faces, smiles uh, um, from from everyone. And uh, obviously, we get uh, things to clean up in our games, but uh, we've been doing a good job getting points every game in the last what, 13 years now. How do you feel Barry and his staff, the assistants, have worked with you to really draw out the best of your game? Because, I mean, you're playing a 200-foot game. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, you know, you've shown probably, I don't know if improvement's the right word, but you have the most noticeable jump in your game probably from the time Barry, yeah. you know, came here to now. <laughs> well, thank you for that. But, uh, I don't know, it's just uh, uh, the system, the way it is, uh, uh, the way we play, uh, I don't know, it just kind of fits in my, in my game a little bit, just kind of um, hard, hard player uh, to play against. And, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, fits. Uh, I think I fit right in the system, and uh, it's just uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I think tomorrow is his hundredth uh, game with the Islanders, and we've had a lot of success with him so far. And, uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun playing with uh, all the coaching staff. It's been uh, obviously we've had a lot of success, and uh, it's been a fun to play with, and that's that's been a lot of fun. Do you find the defense becomes instinctive at this point too? I mean, obviously, you know, you, as a younger player, you, you're no more for your offense. Have you gotten to the point where the defense is kind of, you're not thinking about that either? Oh, I mean, it's just the system. It, it doesn't matter defense or offense. It's just been the right place at the right moment and mm-hmm. everyone being on the same page. I don't know if it's about defense necessarily, but uh, yeah, we have a pretty strict system on defense and that's, that's pretty much what it is. Do you have a like a first hockey memory or like your first goal or or, or, or just when you that, that that you know that switch was flipped and you knew that hockey was the sport for you? It's kind of hard to say. I think I've always been really good in my uh, uh, with guys my age and when I was younger. And, I just kind of, I don't know, everyone was just kind of talking about like having a plan B and stuff growing up and I, I in the back of my, in my mind, I, I, I kind of did, I was doing the right things to have a plan B, but I, in the back of my mind, I kind of knew it was going to, um, my plan, plan A was going to work and obviously end up working out and hopefully I can keep, keep, it, keep it going for, for a long, long time. But Tell me what it's like growing up, you know, French-Canadian. I'm assuming Canadian? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like uh, a little bit like football here in America. Everyone gets, uh, gets together, watch the games and uh, obviously have some beers and like uh, back home, that's what it is. Like, go to a restaurant or something there's TVs, uh, TVs are on, and it's hockey, uh, hockey on TV, so uh, it's, um, it's, it's huge back home, and uh, 
and especially in Montreal, you know, it's, it's basically the, the only professional team there. And, uh, Canadians aren't big, and I grew up obviously cheering for them. And watching the team with my dad every every night, watching a, a Habs game. And, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's just. Uh, yeah, it's it's huge back then. Is it good? So you, you, you don't remember the Expos when they were in Montreal? I do, I do. I remember going to one of the games. I, I, the only thing I remember was uh, eating a hot dog there at the, the Expos. I don't remember like, seeing the game. I just remember like the, the, the concourse kind of uh, around eating a hot dog. That's the only uh, memory I have. <laughs> What, how, how, how often would you go to Canadian games? And, uh, not too often. I mean, it, was, it would be it would be really fun when we when we did, but it probably I probably went what five times before I actually played there. Yeah. And, and what was it like the, the first time you step on the Bell Center? Oh God, it was, uh, it's crazy. I mean, you think it's big from when you're seeing the stands and then you just jump on the ice, just feel like it's, the stands never ends. It just goes up to the sky. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's gonna be, that's going to end up being one of the best memories for sure in my life. With Doug Broussard coming, uh, you know, Gatineau guy, what's it like having, you know, another French Canadian in the world? Yeah, it's been obviously the same culture. It's, it's a lot easier to communicate. And, um, I don't really have any French Canadians uh, with me besides uh, GF, JF Brube back, back in the days. And, well, I mean, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just fun to... Uh, Talk French, I guess. Yeah, as far as he speaks a little bit. Yeah, he does. We, we had a, a little night all French the other day. It was, it was doing pretty good. <laughs> all right. Hey, listen, Bo, I really appreciate a few minutes with you. Yeah, thank you. And my thanks again to Anthony Beauvillier for taking a couple of minutes to join the Island Ice podcast and answer my questions. Always fun talking with Bo. Very, uh, I use this word a lot, but a very engaging guy. I think I called Cole Bardreau that also last week, but I enjoyed talking to Anthony. Uh, remember asking him be- at the beginning of the season, I forgot to include this in my interview, but, uh, you know, he's 22 and this is his fourth season in the NHL. And I, I asked him in- before training camp started, whether he considers himself still a very young guy or a veteran. And <laughs> he sort of laughed and he Said he still hoped he was a young guy, but yeah, you know, four years in, you're you're becoming an NHL veteran. So with that, we now go to Andrew's Answers, the Q&A section of the Island Ice podcast. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. So the first question today comes from uh, Tier 1 Media, who I think uh, contributes a lot to the uh, show, and uh, and I do appreciate that, Tier 1 Media. Says, hello, Andrew, will you please request to interview Billy Smith and Clark Gillies? Uh, You probably covered Otto's debut, so favorite Clash songs. Um, Yeah, uh, getting, you know, I, I think Billy Smith... Would be a dream interview. Um, Clark Gillies, I, I've spoken to before. Uh, he, he's a great guy. I mean, anyone who hasn't met Clark Gillies just, you know, can't comprehend what a, what a great guy this guy is. Um, yeah, uh, talking to the alumni uh, is certainly something that uh, is being hopefully planned for in the future. Uh, I can't give you a timeline on that. Um, but yeah, those, those are certainly Billy Smith would, like I said, be a dream interview to get for the show, for the podcast and, uh, and, uh, any of the alumni, certainly, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, other alumni, we'll see what happens with that. Um, 
As, as far as favorite class so Clash songs, um, you know what? Straight to Hell comes to mind. I remember seeing that, I think, on the old uh, variety show on uh, ABC Fridays. I think they performed that live. It, it was either on Fridays or Saturday Night uh, Live. I forget which one, but that song always sticks out. Uh, love Jimmy Jam. Uh, of course, London Calling just always clicks me into motion whenever I hear that. Um, this is Radio Clash. I, I, I could go on, you know, <laughs> just just the most important band of all time, right? So, yeah, uh, some great, great tunes there. Saw them opening up for The Who at Chase Stadium uh, in 82 and unfortunately didn't quite appreciate them enough at the time because I was just so rabid to, to get The Who on stage. But uh, that that's a good show. I have the CD of that. Um, let's see. Beast LM, another regular contributor, says, With the way Barzell has been playing, what do you think his next contract looks like, similar to Marner's? Um, also, I know this is wishful thinking, but do you think there's a chance he takes a discount to help the team win after players like Eberle and Nelson took a little less this summer? Um, uh, to start at the end, and uh, no disrespect to Matt, I, I don't get that sense that he's looking to give discounts here, and that's not to say he doesn't love playing with this team, but, you know, in, in the few chats I've had with him uh, regarding the situation and other RFAs, he seems to be very interested in, in players, you know, being paid for what they're worth. As far as what... Barzi is worth, yeah, I, I, I think you're looking at an RFA contract like Marner. I mean, I've been saying on the podcast, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be $10 million in North per season, and, and I'm not sure Barzi is going to want to uh, give up any of his UFA years either. So I, I think it's going to be a very interesting negotiation uh, after this season. Uh, up another regular contributor, thank you, says, what are the chances NBC adds some more Isles games to their schedule? Slim to none? Uh, maybe closer to slim than none. Uh, I, I think, you know, NBC's hand may be pushed here because uh, you know, the Islanders are going to be playing some very, very significant games, it, it appears, you know, down the stretch, um, you know, not just to them, but against other teams with the, with a lot of playoff implications. And maybe that, you know, pushes NBC's needle. In the past, they've been, they've shown that they really don't think the Islanders draw eyeballs to the TV screen, so which is why you see so few NBC games featuring the Islanders. Uh, I did check with uh, my Newsday teammate, Neil Best, who informs me that, yes, NBC does have the, uh, uh, the, the mechanism to flex some games, so they could add some Islander games if they so choose. Whether they so choose, uh, again, probably in the slim closer to slim than none, but it, I think it is in that category. Uh, Matt asks, how many times will Otto be in the lineup this season? And are the chances he'll win a, a full-time spot? Uh, with Matty Martin on the mend, how likely is it upon his return? Ross the boss, being Ross Johnson, becomes a healthy scratch slash sent down. You know, Barry Trotz uh, in Philly asked about Otto's NHL debut sort of mentioned that he, he would probably be handled a lot like Noah Dobson is being handled here, where he'll be spotted into the lineup, and they're going to kind of map out a plan for his development. 
Um, you know, whether he stays on the team the full season, uh, I, I can't guarantee that. Noah Dobson, as we've mentioned, obviously is here because the only other place he can be is in junior hockey and the Islanders don't want him there. Um, as we've seen with the uh, five call-ups and call-downs and the Bridgeport shuttle, Otto uh, was on, may still be on. Otto can certainly be sent back to the AHL. So uh, I, I think the best model is look at the way they're using Noah Dobson, and that's probably, you know, unless unless they absolutely need, you know, a, a fourth center, you know, which which they... Right now they do, um, and Otto wins that. I, I think, you know, he's still developing a 21, really, his first go-round, uh, you know, learning probably the North American game still, learning to use that big body of his still. I think they will go slowly with Otto. Uh, David Matuzzi asks, is the roster still lacking in firepower as presently constructed? Is this a team that is capable of making a Stanley Cup run this year? I'll start at the end. And yeah, everything I've seen is the way this team plays as a team and the goaltending this team has gotten. Yeah, this, this is certainly a team that can make a Stanley Cup run this year. Is the roster still lacking firepower? I, I I think, you know, obviously, uh, and we've been talking about this since the debut of Island Dice, that, you know, probably the one thing the team would need is another scoring wing. Um, although now maybe it's it's another center, but centers are ho- so hard to get on the fly. Um, does that mean it's lacking in firepower? I'll, I'll say that they could always use another scorer. But, you know, if Matthew Barzell is going to score the way he has, and if, if Anthony Beauvillier is going to pot goals consistently like he has, um, maybe the solutions come from within. Um, Jeff Bernstein asks, what's your earliest Islanders memory? What's your best Islanders memory? And, you know, my earliest memory, maybe not a specific game, but it was listening to John Sterling calling the games on YMCA, um, you know, doing those games, doing his Islander goal, Islander goal, Islander goal calls. And, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, the, the, the passes, you know, from one pod fan to pod fan brother to the other, Jean back to brother Denny, Denny back to Jean, goal, Islander goal, that that kind of stuff. And, you know, although it was probably re- reversed and Denny scored the goal. But, uh, you know, and then going into uh, grade school the next day and trying to repeat that and, you know, probably learning early that I was headed for sports writing and not a radio career like John Sterling, but uh, my my best Islanders memory, I, I I think like a lot of people, I mean you know I I have memories of that seventy five win over the Rangers, but I was very you know I was eight I think at that time, but uh, really it, it's probably the Bobby Nystrom goal against the Flyers that really stands out. Uh, you know, my parents had sent me to bed and I'm listening on a radio, you know, the cliche under the covers. So my parents, you know, don't know that I'm still awake and, and just listening to that. And I, I just vividly remember how hard my, uh, how hard my heart was beating uh, through the overtime 
Uh, you know, and, and and that's why I love hockey on radio because you have to create the uh, the picture in your mind, and, and your imagination takes you a million different ways. Every time the opposing team uh, comes down the ice, it seems like a four on zero rush, and I just remember my heart beating, and then just the the elation and and biting my tongue as hard as I could, so I, so I wasn't screaming when Bobby Nystrom scored, and I wouldn't get in trouble with my folks, but um. Jay Marsh asks, now that Wallstrom is in Bridgeport and Koivula is up, do you see this sticking at all, or will Bardreau be back, which I hope Brass cannot be taken off the wing and we will need one more center? Who do you think sticks? I, I think it is uh, Otto's turn to prove that he can stick, um, although I think some games you're going to still see Leo Komarov in the middle there. Um, and yeah, and, and I've said this, uh, I, I do believe Cobardro will be back at some point this season. I think he's a very useful piece. And, uh, I checked in, I know in the last episode, Lou had said that Cole had gotten hurt his first game back down to Bridgeport. He, he blocked a shot. Um, the reports are that he, he is okay. Um, Scott asked, did Otto Koivola do anything to impress you in his first NHL start? Limited ice time. I, I, I think he was noticeable in not being noticeable, if you know what I mean. He didn't make any glaring mistakes. Um, he was used wisely by Barry Trotz uh, in and off the ice. You know, I know the Islanders gave up a few odd man rushes that game, so I don't want to say it was a flawless defensive performance. But, you know, for a first go-round, he's a confident kid, and I, I think it was certainly something to build on. Um, let's see, Scott... Uh, McAvoy asks, is there any concern among Isles Brass about Dalcal's lack of offensive production? Realize he is young and his game has changed to more defensive-minded, but his shot production and point production are very weak for someone who rarely gets scratched. Uh, I, I don't think... They're, they're not asking him to do that. They're asking him to do what he's doing. As Lou and Barry like to say, everyone on the team has a role. And if you know your role and if you do it well then you are contributing to this team, even if it, you're not showing up on the score sheet. So I think Michael Dalcol is is doing what they ask of him. And, you know, he, he'll, he's getting a few chances here and there, um, but that's, you know, what, what he scores will really be gravy to this team. They really just need him to be, you know, a physical presence and uh, kind of a grinder at this point. And uh, Michael Dalcol has accepted that role. Um, Matt asks, is this available on Google Podcasts app? That is my understanding. Uh, Kurt Green says, assuming Brat, Brass stays at right wing, who is the long-term answer at fourth center? Bridgeport call-up or a trade? Sezikis is a third center, of course. Yeah, if Brass stays at right wing, then the Sezikis line, I believe, becomes the third line. And like I said, I think it's Otto Koivula's chance to kind of show right now. Um, but I think Leo Komarov is going to certainly uh, slide into the middle, um, even though both him and Barry say that is not his best uh, best position. But I think, uh, you know, necessity dictates he's going to uh, be used there a little bit. Uh, Will Forthman says, top three drummer influences you know, for me, obviously, I think it started with Keith Moon, not so much the technical aspects, just the showmanship. I, I, I just love everything about Keith Moon. And then you, you read a little bit about his life and you realize what a troubled, 
you know, human being he was. And, and, and that's a little bit sad, but, you know, just as far as, you know, when he was in the prime, you know, probably, uh, and, and probably peaking with who's next, um, that there wasn't a drummer like that. He just thought differently. And, you know, top three, uh, there are just so many. One guy I love, absolutely, is Barrymore Barlow um, from Jethro Tull. And before him, Clive Bunker. Uh, I just, uh, two completely different types of drummers, Clive with a little more of a a, a jazzy feel. But... uh, uh, I, I just love those guys. Nico McBrain, uh, love, love the little, you know, rhythms he does. And, uh, you know, I guess every rock drummer says it all goes back to Ginger Baker, right? And I, I've been getting into Ginger Baker lately, watched the, uh, documentary on him, been listening to a lot of his Air Force and, uh, just trying to understand exactly what he was doing and the, and the polyrhythms he had. And, uh, Again, he's he's also different, and and I will say, I mean, uh, I saw Frank Zappa once, and Chad Wackerman was drumming for him, and that was the tightest show I, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Chad was unbelievable playing with uh, Frank Zappa. Um, Joe Grassi asks, who will end up being full-time third-line center? I think it's Zekas at this point. Why did we send Bardreau back down? News on Hosang, no news on Hosang, same deal, uh, just in limbo, um, you know, and it's it's become a sad situation, uh, I think, for both parties there. Uh, why did we send Bardreau back down? Uh, I think, uh, you know, they needed the roster space, right? They were activating, uh, who was that, when Everly got activated? I, I, I lose track, there were so many people coming in and out, but they needed the uh, roster spot, I believe, and now... Uh, you know, I, I think they want to take a really good look at Otto right now, and you can't have Otto and uh, Cole on the team at the same time. Um, Connor Hickey says, do you think Johnny Boychuk gets traded in the offseason? His actual salary will be below his cap hit, which I think some teams may be interested in. I, I think some t- some players are much more valuable to their own team than maybe other teams, and everyone always you know, wants a defenseman, but I think Johnny's value to the Islanders and the way he fits in here is probably of greater value than he might be with another team. So I I don't think he would be the guy that would get traded or other teams would necessarily be, you know, looking to get from the group. And again, Johnny, uh, love you, boy. Uh, no, No disrespect to you there. I'm just saying that I think you're much more valuable with the Islanders. Um... Isles Mets Mike asks, can you flex those muscles and make sure all the Isles playoff games are at the Collie this year? You know, I've said that I think the NHL is going to want games at Brooklyn uh, for the playoffs because they can make more money. But you know what? It would not 100% shock me if if you go full-on Collie this season. Um, just based on all that's happened between the ownerships of the arenas and, and all that, and and the fact that next season it seems like everything's going to be at the Coliseum anyway. So I, I don't think that's out of left field. Uh, they probably will not announce it until much later. Um, Mass Neotech Prototype says, any word floating around on potential transactions for now and later in this year? If is this roster? Is this the roster we should expect to see after the deadline? Uh, I, I think there will be a tweak, um, but 
you know, we saw last year at the deadline that maybe there won't be a tweak. I know that's a waffling answer, but my, my instinct would be that Lou will try and bolster the group, especially, you know, he can, he can see the potential in this group. And I think if he gets the chance to add, he will. Um, in Trots We Trust asks, why did Travis Williams leave for another job so soon? And any word on a replacement? No word on a replacement. Uh, that's going to be kept very hush-hush in-house. Um, you know, I, I think it came down to uh, Travis. I mean, he, you know, he worked for the Penguins for a long time. His family kind of grew up there, and he had a chance to go back and run the Pirates with the you know, more of a, more of an influence than he would have with the Islanders, even though really he was spearheading the, the Belmont project and that's what they brought him in for. I, I just think he saw him himself. I thought he saw it as a, uh, you know, upwards move to take over the Pirates like that. I, again, I, it was, it was upsetting to the Islanders, uh, to see Travis leave, but no, no, uh, no word on a, uh, replacement. Um, Noine says, hey, Andrew, do you feel that if Lou thinks this team is a true cup contender this season, he brings in that quote-unquote final piece by the trading deadline, even if it means a costly trade in picks and prospects? Thanks. Uh, Lou, Lou will be aggressive, I believe. I mean, he has been aggressive in the past. Um, if he really thinks this is a team, if there's a final piece to put him over the edge in his mind for a Stanley Cup contender, he will be aggressive. Um, he's held back on trading picks and prospects for a couple of years now. Uh, this might be the time he, he could pull a, pull the trigger on that. Um, and let's see, uh, we will finish with Islanders fan 91 who says, will 27 be retired anytime soon? And does Brent Sutter has still has a grudge with the Islanders? Last time I heard, uh, says he has no connection with Isles after Alan Bill left. Uh, I can't give you, you know, uh, any update on Brent Sutter's relationship with the Islanders other than I know, and as I've said, the ownership has, um, has gone out of their way to really try and reach out to the alumni and make this an inclusive, uh, you know, alumni base. Um, I haven't seen Brent Sutter obviously in a while since he left the area. So I haven't been able to ask him that. Um, will 27 be retired anytime soon? I, I, I don't think so. Um, I think they've retired the numbers, uh, from that group that have, are going to be retired for the time being. And I think the next one up there might be 91 anyway, uh, Butchie. Um, but you know, I don't even know about that. But anyway, listen, as always, thank you. Thank you so much for submitting some questions for Andrew's answers. And this has been episode eight of the Island Ice podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. Uh, you can find all my Islander stories on the Newsday website. Um, you can find uh, this podcast on the Newsday website. You can also find it on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. If I'm missing anything, I'm sorry, but we're out there. Please subscribe, rate and review, leave a comment. Any comment is a good one. Uh, trying to get feedback, make the show as as good as possible. And again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrew Gross and happy hockey, everybody. Have a good one.